You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. It's hard to believe that it has been two years of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast already. This is a very special celebration episode where I've invited three of my mastermind buddies to answer your questions. So if this is your very first Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast, you might want to pause here, go back and listen to a few more for context, and then check back in when you get a sense of what we talk about on this podcast. And for those of you who've been listening regularly, some of you from the very first episode, I hope you enjoy this two-year anniversary special edition of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Welcome, you guys. I'm so grateful and happy that you decided to help me celebrate two years of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. I'm here with Amanda McKinney, Amanda Kingsmith, and Shannon Crow, my mastermind buddies. And we're here for a very special episode where we're answering your questions, or I'm answering your questions, they're asking them, and I have never seen them. So they organized this whole thing. Well, I asked them to organize it, but they graciously said yes. And so I'm really pumped to hear what you guys want to know from me. And they tell me that there's some really awesome questions here. So what I'd love to do is to begin just with some quick intros. And we'll start with McKinney. Yes. Well, happy two years of podcasting. That is a major milestone. So congratulations on that, Mado. And my name is Amanda McKinney, and I have the Marketing Yoga with Confidence podcast, and I help yoga teachers market their yoga so you can make more money. Thank you, Amanda McKinney. We've got two Amandas in this group. <laughs> it's a little confusing, but you get used to it. So sometimes we call them McKinney and Kingsmith, and maybe Kingsmith, you can go next. Yeah, absolutely. And I echo McKinney in that congratulations, two years is amazing. It is not easy to run a podcast. So I'm so excited for you, Mado. And I'm so excited to be here. So I'm Amanda Kingsmith, and I am the host of Mastering the Business of Yoga or MBOM. And I help yoga teachers create sustainable businesses that they love. And last but definitely not least, Shannon Crow. Happy Podiversary. Mado, two years is a huge milestone. Uh, uh, we all know as fellow podcasters that you're showing up each and every week. And I'm really excited to be here because I love listening to your podcast and I love being in your Facebook group and connecting with your audience. So I'm Shannon Crow. I host the Connected Yoga Teacher podcast and I work for yoga teachers as a trainer and consultant. Sweet. Well, Kingsmith, I think you created a system of organization for us. So tell us how this is going to work. Yeah, absolutely. So your audience gave a bunch of questions and I went through the questions and kind of sorted through what I thought would make a great episode. So hopefully you love the questions, Mado, and we're going to take turns asking you the questions. So we'll go between me, Shannon, McKinney, answering 
are asking you the different questions and then we'll just see where we go with this. So that's how it's going to work. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. So first question, first question for you, Mado, is from Sherlyn or Sherlyn. And it is, what does a day in the life look like for you? A day in the life. I love this question. I get up at six o'clock, although there was some kind of, I messed up last night and I accidentally hit my alarm, uh, set my alarm for 5.30 and I was a little bit disoriented this morning when I got downstairs and it was 5.40. Generally, I get up at six o'clock. I keep some stuff downstairs so that I'm not stumbling around in the dark and I come down and I, you know, do all the necessary things, which the most necessary of those is pouring myself a cup of coffee. I put... Uh, collagen and a little bit of milk in my coffee and I sit there and I just wake up <laughs> for the first 10 minutes or so and when my coffee is done if it's light out I head out the door for a walk if it's not yet light on out I will sit and meditate and I will walk slash run anywhere from one and a half to two miles I've got two different routes I take one of them is like a mile and a half one of them is about two miles this is more about my morning routine than it is a day in the life. But I feel like my morning routine is really important. So when I get back, I'll head downstairs and I will do some movement. I will do, sometimes it's gentle movement, sometimes it's weight, sometimes it's a full workout. And basically by 7.30 or 8, I'm really awake and I'm really ready to help my family get up and kind of devote myself to my family for a few hours. And then I'm, you know, the truth is that a day in the life varies a whole lot depending on the day of the week, especially now with COVID-19. My husband is, well, we have no childcare, no school, right? So my kids are home with me all day. And, but my husband is only working two days a week. So we switch off days. So on a work day, I basically head down into the basement, which is where I'm sitting right now, at nine o'clock-ish. And I do try to get up once an hour to move around, but I will dive in and, and you know, the, the different tasks vary a lot day by day, whether it's recording podcasts, whether it's creating courses, whether it's working one-on-one -on -one with yoga teachers. And... I could keep going like very rarely at five o'clock. Am I like, Oh, I'm done with this. I could just keep going and going and going, but generally I try to be done by five, go upstairs, make dinner after dinner. We, there's maybe a little bit of family time, but <laughs> then we, I help put my daughter to bed, my four-year-old and I'm in bed pretty, pretty soon after that. So nine, nine thirty is generally when I'm in bed by. So it's a very exciting life, as you can <laughs> as you can tell. But okay, so the days where I am not working is just spent with my four-year-old and we bake a lot, cook a lot. I spend time in my garden. I didn't mention this, but when I go outside for my walk, either in the beginning or in the end, I check in with my garden and I pull a few weeds, harvest a few things. Yeah, so 
read a lot of books with my four-year-old and we do art and we play outside on the trampoline. We have a really lovely backyard. So that's a day in the life. And before and hopefully post COVID-19, there were more trips to the grocery store and trips to the gym and taking my daughter to school. But I've always been a bit of an introvert. So this is just kind of taking my normal lifestyle to the next level. You know, there's so many parts of my life that give me so much peace and satisfaction. Spending time with my family, going on walks, gardening, like these are the things I've learned through trial and error over time make me feel good, make me feel at peace. So that's what I spend my time on. Mado, this goes in really nicely with the next question. It's Shannon here for those of you who are listening and are like, who are all these voices? <laughs> Which is how many hours a week do you work? And this was asked by Teresa. And it sounds like you have a nine to five, but I wonder you know, pre-COVID-19 and now COVID-19, what, what do your hours look like? Yeah, pre-COVID-19, I was definitely working at least 40 hours a week because I would often, during weekends, kind of sneak downstairs and get a few hours of work done, at least two per day. So <laughs> it was kind of, you know, one of those 40 plus. And right now I am still doing that on weekends, but I'm only working three eight-hour days per week. So it's a, it's a lot considering, I would say, you know, but I appreciate the work-life balance that COVID is forcing me into. I like that idea of finding the silver lining in all of this and, and kind of forcing that work-life balance a little bit more. That's a really cool, cool angle on that. Okay, so I have the next question from Monica, and Monica asked, how do you balance regular personal practice, professional development, podcast, and courses, along with the demands of your personal life? What resources serve you best and what goes by the wayside? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> go, Monica, go. <laughs> so I would say the biggest thing is getting up two hours before everybody else. It's one to two hours, but getting up early is the biggest way that I fit my own practice in, my own self-care. Help me remember what, what other angles of that question are. Personal practice, professional development, podcasting courses, which maybe it's personal practice, professional development, and work stuff. Yeah. So I consider professional development to be part of work stuff. So I like when we're talking about that 40 plus hours, there's definitely a good amount of time set aside for that. And what I've found is that it's easy to let things like email eat up your day. So I carve out chunks where I very specifically am saying I'm using this chunk for personal development. That's a very important personal or professional development. That's an important piece of my work day. And so I'm not tacking that on at the end. I'm not doing that when I feel like I have extra time, but I'm building it into my plan. And one of the things that, one of the systems that's really important to me is stacking functions. So for example, I don't see clients. I don't work with people one-on-one -on -one every day of the week. I bunch those together and I bunch my creative work together and I just have 
intentions for each chunk of my week so that I'm not doing a lot of task switching. I think that's really important as well. And then the other thing is that every Monday morning I sit down and I look at my whole week and I set some priorities and some goals so that, and I, and I make a plan for when each of those priorities and goals is going to be front and center so that I'm not sitting down every day and going, Hmm, I wonder what I should do today. But instead I'm just looking at the plan I already made. Oh, you know, I love a good plan right there (laughs) with you, Madeau on that one. That's so good. Yeah, I'm a big fan of a plan as well. And it's Amanda Kingsmith here. And I've got your next question, Mado. It's from Veronica. And she says, I find your guests incredibly inspiring. How do you find them? Also, what is your process when creating a podcast? Thank you. So I find my guests lots of different ways. I will get a lot of podcasts, a lot of people pitching the podcast as we all four of us do. And to be honest, most of those pitches, I don't, I'm not able to accommodate most of those pitches. And we all see a lot of really poor quality pitches. So we actually, the four of us decided to come together and collaborate on a training for yoga teachers to teach you best practices for pitching podcasts. If you want to get on podcasts, we will tell you how to stand out. And then also once you're a guest on a podcast, how to be a really amazing guest so that you get asked back because I've been on certain podcasts multiple times and I've had certain people on my podcast multiple times. You know, there's also many guests that have been on my podcast and they're very wonderful people and they have important things to teach. But as a podcast guest, I wouldn't invite them back. So we want to share with you and all of our audiences, how to get on podcasts and how to be an amazing guest. So that training is coming up in just one week, one week from when this podcast is released out into the world on the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. And it is Thursday, May 21st from two to three. Am I getting this right? Two to three Eastern. Two to three Eastern. Important distinction. If you want to sign up for this workshop, you can go to teachingyoga.net slash events and you'll find the latest online events, including this one. And if you don't see it there, it means it's too late. But if it goes really well, maybe we'll do it again in the future. Okay, wrapping my brain back around to this question, Veronica, the... I don't accept very many, but if somebody sends me a pitch and it's a really good match for a topic that I know my audience is interested in and I'm not capable of covering it myself or maybe not the best person to cover it myself, that is when I say yes. And I prefer to go out and find guests. So I prefer to do that calculation internally who is somebody that could really bring a different perspective or a lot of expertise on a topic that I don't have expertise on. And I will go out and I will reach out to people. And same as I don't say yes to most of the people who pitch me, most of the people I ask also don't say yes. (laughs) Like mostly they don't respond, to be honest. And then as far as the procedure goes, I have a form in Acuity. And so the podcast guest will click a link that I send. 
they will look at available times, they'll choose a time and then a form will come up. And in that form, they'll fill out basically the points that they want me to ask them about. They'll include their bio, they'll include their headshot. And so I have all of that before the podcast even happens. And then I just record on Zoom. So we're currently, the four of us are recording the podcast on Zoom. At the appointed time, we show up and we just have a conversation. So that's, that's my podcast procedure. It's Shannon Crow back here. And on this thread of podcasts, someone, I'm not sure who it was that asked this question, said, do you ever worry about running out of podcast ideas? I don't have that worry because my understanding of topics is constantly evolving. So even if I've covered a topic before, I can always cover it from a different angle. Also, I'm constantly getting questions from my audience and those questions really guide what I choose to talk about on the podcast. And so even if my own brain ran out of ideas, your brains never do. Amanda McKinney here. And I'm going to switch gears completely on you, Mado, and we're not talking about podcasting anymore. And so Alexandra asked, how did your yoga practice change when you got pregnant and how did you navigate that change? Okay. So the first time I got pregnant, I was in teacher training and I remember this is like a big moment for me because I called the leader of the teacher training and I think I left a message telling her I was pregnant. And then this was like before this was a long time ago. <laughs> this was before like there was like texting going on and stuff, you know. And she called me and left me a message back saying basically most people who get pregnant drop out of the training. And I remember bursting into tears. And I I just at the time I was pretty young and I just kind of took that at face value and I dropped out of the training. And I now recognize that I didn't actually have to, like I could have kept going. So I hardly even remember, I, I took a lot of prenatal yoga at that time, but it was so long ago that I don't really remember how my practice changed too much. I ended up starting the training again when my daughter was two. And that time I completed it and did not get pregnant <laughs> partway through. And I remember, the second time I got pregnant, because that was only like about five years ago, I would say my practice had already changed and evolved a huge amount in the intervening 13 years between my first and my second pregnancies. So I had, was already in a place with that second pregnancy where I was no longer really looking to yoga asana for a workout where I was looking, I was using yoga asana for, on a physical level for recovery from my workouts and on a mental emotional level as an embodied practice of presence and meditation. So I would say it didn't change all that much, really. Although with that second pregnancy, I had terrible morning sickness and I basically lay in bed for five months. And so 
let's be real here, you guys, there was not a lot of practice happening. Um, there was a lot of Netflix happening <laughs> and it got so bad that I actually got bored of Netflix, which I was like, wow, this is really impressive. <laughs> Um, but then later on in the pregnancy, I would say that m the the primary function of, of my practice was to actually help me sleep. So I would meditate in bed at night when I was having trouble sleeping. And um, even though you're kind of like not supposed to want to fall asleep when you meditate, but it was super helpful because the meditation helped me to, to chill my thoughts out, to smooth out some of those chitta vrittis. And that was essential for getting to sleep. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for tackling that one. I love hearing that answer. It's Amanda Kingsmith here again. I, I haven't had a child as, as you guys know, so I don't know the experience of being pregnant. So it's really, it's really incredible to hear your experience, Mado. And you kind of touched on the next question just a little bit, but hopefully we can dive a little bit deeper with it. Uh, Baruch or Baruch, I'm so sorry. I'm probably butchering your name. My hugest apologies. Asked, how has your point of view on how to practice asana changed from uh, when you started until today? Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. I don't even barely remember what my point of view was when I started. I was probably like, I don't know, 19. And I was a theater major in college. And my theater professors brought some yoga into our classes. And then I was also in a martial arts community. I was practicing Okinawan karate. So, so there was like this there was these social pressures and, and physical intensity and the yoga just felt like a break. It felt soothing and I was naturally flexible. So I was like, oh, I'm good at this. I like this and it makes me feel good. And I didn't question it too terribly much. I practiced in college and then out of after I graduated from college, that's when I signed up for that first teacher training. And I would say that I wasn't, prior to that teacher training, I wasn't very exposed to the philosophy or meditation or chanting or any of that. It was really more on a physical level. And even when I first started teaching, I, I had myself in mind as I was teaching. And I was like, well, when I went to yoga classes, I just wanted to feel good, right? I didn't want to hear about philosophy. And so that was kind of my approach at first. It was more physical based. And then I got involved with a style of yoga that was very philosophy heavy and also very alignment heavy. And so I really dove into those two practices. And over time, I started to come to a more well-rounded understanding of the human body and how <laughs> the fact that alignment is individual and even philosophy to some degree is individual. Like we can learn about the mental models that the ancient yogis put down in writing. We can, we can hear that, listen to that, compare it with our lived experience and it can be valuable, but no mental model is correct. They're all wrong. And so there, it's this fascinating experience of the goals of yoga are intangible and we cannot talk about them because words are tangible, right? Even though words aren't 
the most tangible things in the world, but they are their material. They're, they're of the material world. And so we're trying to create this experience that goes beyond words. I would say that my definition of what yoga is has become very expansive and at the same time, very simple. <laughs> and so what I see is that there's lots of tools that we can use to experience yoga, but that yoga is an experience of the part of ourselves that needs nothing and is unchanging. And so asana is great and it's one tool. And for some people, it can be the tool that really draws them in or maybe the tool that really lights them up. And that's awesome. But it can also be the tool that's a distraction and that, and that even leads to injury and leads to suffering. So I do believe that each of us is on our own unique path. And so I, even though I feel like naturally I'm kind of a judgmental person, maybe I'm not alone <laughs> in this, but what I've learned through all of this study and through all of this practice is like, you know what, that's your business. I'm going to really just focus in on what works for me. I'm going to really focus in on doing my best and trusting that you're doing your best. Gosh, did that answer the question? Do you think? I think so. I think that was an incredible answer. I was like completely glued to listening to what you were saying. That was amazing <laughs> okay. to hear. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm supposed to be focusing on the next question. It's Shannon here again. And I'm like totally into your story and thinking, wow, I'm learning a lot about Mado today. And I feel like we know each other pretty well from our mastermind. Okay, so Pamela asked a really good question. I feel like this is so timely. And I feel like uh, it just makes me feel... A lot of comfort reading this question. So she asks, how do you make yourself do it when you're feeling depressed and anxious and having difficulty concentrating and just feeling so heavy? You know, it'll make you feel better, but I thought, gosh, Mado's stump, but no, it's just frozen Zoom. <laughs> that was so funny. I cannot wait to see my picture like, please take a screenshot of my face. Oh, because I was laughing so hard thinking she's not going to answer this. Well, I was like, I think she was, I was like, I think she must be frozen. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, well, I'll explain it again. <laughs> Will you repeat the question so that we make sure we get it? Thanks, Pamela. This has been really fun. Okay, so how do you make yourself do it when you're feeling depressed and anxious and having difficulty concentrating and just feeling so heavy? You know it'll make you feel better, but despite trying, you just can't or don't. Sometimes you don't, right? And over time, you just get a little bit better at taking the first step. Sometimes the first step is getting walking out, getting out the door and just going for a walk because I know that moving my body leads to more movement and being still leads to more lethargy. And we're all a work in progress. So by no means am I perfect at doing the things that I know are going to make me feel better. But I have noticed that over time I'm getting better at it. And that's all I can ask of myself is to get a little bit better, to know myself a little better and to take that first step because that is, the, it's the hardest thing to do, 
But once you've taken the first step, the rest gets easier. That was really good. That's so good, Mito. Thank you. <laughs> what about you guys? Do you have anything to add to that? I mean, I think I wanted to add that we all have those times. Like some people ask me, oh, how do you do it? How do you just keep going? How do you do your practice? How do you do the work that you do? Uh, I also have these feelings. Like, I think it's really normal. We're not super people because we're yoga teachers or because we have podcasts where we have nice edited audio. Yeah. And I think too, just to add to that, like, I think that sometimes you just have to be gracious with yourself in the moments where you're like, it's not happening today. And sometimes it's okay to just lie in bed at 2 PM on a Wednesday. That's fine. And I think that we're so programmed to think that that's not okay because it's what we've been told time and time again. And sometimes that's the best thing that we can do for ourselves, for our businesses, for our students, and just being okay with that, which is like a practice in and of itself. I think that's a good point, Kingsmith, because what's called the second arrow it's like the first arrow is the feeling of, oh, this is hard. I don't feel like doing this. Whatever, whatever the pain is that's keeping you stagnant. But the second arrow is the self-judgment. And the second arrow is almost worse. It's just keeping you in the, that stagnant place. Whereas a little bit of self-compassion might loosen some of the resistance and some of the challenge maybe even get you moving more quickly. Maybe not, but it definitely doesn't help. The second arrow. I like that concept of the second arrow. This is McKinney talking. And that's a really interesting. I've never heard that phrase before, but I'm certain I'll use it now because it's a good one. And I, I would also add to this, I think giving ourselves grace, knowing that we need to stop sometimes and that we just can't and we just don't sometimes is so important. And I also think part of it is starting to learn ourselves and to be honest with ourselves when we need to push through that feeling. Like there's some of it that is, yes, you need to lay down sometimes and that's okay. And that's totally fine. But I think if we're really, really honest with ourselves, there's other times that we say that to ourselves when we're just procrastinating, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. And I feel like sometimes we need to I think it, it takes practice, like the practice in and of itself of knowing ourselves and what we need. And sometimes it's kind of like, like this, we have each other. We have this mastermind of, of each other where we can check in and I can say, I just can't do this. But Mado, you could say, but can you, but can you really do it today, Amanda? <laughs> and I would say, yes, yeah. I can. Okay. Let's do that. So sometimes I think we need to do that knowing that no, knowing if we need to move forward, if we need to take a walk, like taking a walk is something that the majority of us can do and not necessarily take an, an enormous amount of energy at like a full hour power yoga class, right? Like what's the one thing that you can do to get your body moving, especially if we're feeling anxious or depressed? Research tells us this is science that tells us that moving our body is a good idea. And I think it does come down to knowing yourself and knowing your tendencies. Do you have the tendency to cut yourself slack when you shouldn't? Or do you have the tendency to self-flagellate when it's really not that big a deal? And like you said, I think 
bringing other people into the circle is really important to get some neutral reflection because sometimes we're not neutral when we think about our own patterns. Like <laughs> we all talk about this in the mastermind a lot about how terrible we are at doing this things for our own business that we're fantastic at helping other people with. Like the clarity of vision and sight that we can see for somebody else. And then from the inside, we can't see it. So definitely knowing yourself, but then getting some help in knowing yourself is really, really great. And I love that you talked about this and that the kind of the dynamic of the mastermind has come up because we don't have registration open for this as of the moment of recording, but we may have it up by the time this is released. We're also going to teach a training on how to create a peer mastermind the way the four of us have. There are masterminds out there that cost money, sometimes a lot of money. And we know that a lot of yoga teachers, like that's not necessarily realistic in this moment, but you can create an amazing supportive circle of kinship the way that we have for very little or basically no money. And so we're gonna teach you how to do that in that. And I'll put that on the same page at teachingyoga.net slash events. I love that you just got that in there, Mado, because we did not plan this at all. <laughs> it's true, but it's really helped. And I think about, as you were yeah. talking about it, Mado, I was thinking of how many times, because we use a tool, Boxer, to talk to one another. Um, it's an app on our phones, and we talk to each other all the time about completely random things, business stuff, life stuff whatever. And how many times, I mean, it's happened to all four of us several times, how we will start the Voxer message asking a question, but we actually answer ourselves while we're leaving the <laughs> Voxer message. Because sometimes it's simply talking it through to someone else in general that gives us the answer. So true. Okay. Next question. Next question. This is a biggie. What is your favorite aspect of yoga? Which limb and why? And what do you find most difficult to relate to within yoga? What limb and why? My favorite limb. I'm going to say that they're both the same. Okay. So my favorite and my least favorite are Dharana Dhyana Samadhi. Samyama. Basically meditation. It's really challenging for me. I have a very active mind. I think it's incredibly valuable. I think it's a powerful concept to even recognize that your mind can be, that you can befriend your mind, that you can have influence over the patterns of your thoughts and that you can achieve a state of peace through this practice. And yet at the same time, like when I study the yoga sutras and we talk about like the levels of samadhi, it's incredibly confusing and very difficult for me to relate to. So yeah, I would say, I know it's three limbs, but it's you know, the way that we, it, it's, it comes back to that whole thing about all models are wrong, right? So the eight limbs, there's nothing true. There's nothing inherently specifically perfectly true about the eight limbs. It's a way of thinking about how we it, as humans have devised a technology to help us suffer less. And 
So there's so many different ways. And that's part of why it's confusing when you study yoga is you will, especially if you study multiple traditions and they'll talk about things and they'll use different terminology and they'll divide them up in different ways. So, you know, but many of us have studied the yoga sutras. Many of us have studied the eight limbs. So that is a common, a common language among us. And those last three limbs, now Pratyahara is leading towards Samyama, but those are kind of the heart of the yoga method. And yeah, I think that they're incredibly powerful and also incredibly challenging. They're, they can be very confusing and difficult to relate to. Good answer. I don't even know how I would have answered that question. I was thinking this is a big question for her to answer. So good job on that one. That's a tough one, really. Yeah, this was actually the... This is the question I was most excited to hear your answer to of all the ones that I pulled. <laughs> As I'm trying to live and practice a true and authentic yogic lifestyle, when does, quote unquote, letting go of what no longer serves us, how do we find the line, the fine line between altruism and selfishness? Oh my God. Altruism versus selfishness. I think that that comes again, down to um, knowing yourself and getting feedback from others. So if you have a tendency to be more altruistic, like overly altruistic, then you should err on the side of selfishness. And if you have a tendency to maybe be a bit selfish, then you should err on the side of altruism. So get that feedback, do some introspection, do your inner work, learn about yourself, get feedback from other people, and then you know, make your decisions the best you can in the moment, but default to whatever is not your default. That's what I would say. That's so good. Okay. Shannon here again. Here's another question. Do you try to convince close family and friends to do yoga? And if so, how have they responded? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Best answer ever. That's just a flat out no. Any, like, have you learned the hard way? In a previous relationship, I I wouldn't say that I tried to pressure my boyfriends slash partners to practice yoga. To some degree, they kind of wanted to in quotations, but never really found the motivation to do it. But mostly it's just seems like a losing battle to try to pressure or convince or even inspire anybody in a close relationship with you to do anything. So what I find is that I can make direct requests and I can model. And then the practice is just, is, is the letting go of the results, right? The abhyasa vairagya. I'm going to take the skillful action in a consistent way whether that is making a direct request <laughs> or, and, and the modeling, hopefully that doesn't have anything to do with trying to influence them. It's like, you are going to live your best life and maybe that'll inspire them. Maybe not, but in general, gosh, you know, trying to change other people's behavior is a recipe for frustration and a recipe for reduced intimacy. So, yeah, I say no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let them find it in their own way if they will. That's great, Meadow. 
Okay, one more, and I get the last one, which is really exciting. So um, I don't know who asked this question, but it's such a good one. And this person said, I'm looking to start an online membership program for my classes. How do I get started? Personally, if I were you, I would either hire someone who's done it before or take a course and get some step-by-step instruction because anything that I could say in like three minutes is going to be just a repeat of anything that I would say for any project, you know, know who you want to help, know what they think they're struggling with so that you can position your membership, get all the tech set up. And it is helpful to talk to somebody who's been through it. And I know McKinney, I know that you have recently taught a express course in helping people get their membership set up. So I don't know if you plan to offer something similar in the future or not. You could reach out to Amanda McKinney. Shannon Crow has a membership. Amanda McKinney has a membership. I kind of have a membership with my patron program for the podcast. A membership is such a great way to help people in an ongoing way with kind of a smaller initial financial outlay. So it's a really great piece of your business model. For most people, it's a good idea to find a balance between diversifying your business model, but not being all over the place, (laughs) which is tough. I'm not sure that I've quite gotten there yet, but you know, whatever project that you want to take on for your business, approach it with a sense of curiosity and a willingness to do some trial and error, but also get expert advice. So there are courses out there about how to run memberships to walk you through step-by-step kind of depends on how much you're willing to invest. In general, if you want to do it well, you are going to have to expect that you're going to need to invest. Any financial savings that you get by figuring it out yourself is going to be more than taken up by the greater amount of time it's going to take to get to the same place. Like that's why we, if you're in a hurry, you're going to spend more money and get more help. If you're not in a hurry, if you're like, this is kind of a hobby and this seems like it would be a fun challenge for me. Great. Then, then figure it out yourself and learn through trial and error because there will be trial and error either way, right? Whether you get the help or not, but you can just kind of boost yourself and go faster by hiring help. Yeah, that's, That's kind of my first run at thoughts around that. I think it was great. Especially since I I said to hire you. Right. I was like, that was kind of awkward that I asked that question. I swear I didn't make that up. I was like, I did not ask that question. It really was a real question. I have no idea if I'll run the express training again. It's gone very, very well. It was something I offered basically because my audience wanted it quickly, like you said, because they wanted help in that. So I have no idea if I'll run it again. Reach out to me. Tell me if you want me to run that again and we'll see how it goes. I do listen to my audience and, and, you know, do what Mado says is listen to your audience and tell, and they'll tell you what to do. Yeah. Mado, is your membership, because you said I'm kind of running a membership, but you totally are. Is yours going now? Like when did it open or? Yeah. So it opened in the middle of April. Basically there's three levels. So part of my thought process around this was inviting regular podcast listeners to engage with the podcast in a deeper way and to be able to choose their level of engagement. 
So memberships start at $5 a month. So I wanted to have a level of engagement that was super affordable for almost anyone. And at that level, at that $5 a month level, you will get downloads and cheat sheets and ways to engage with the podcast content in a deeper way. The next level of support is $20 a month. And at that level, you get everything at the $5 level, plus you get to attend the trainings and ask your own questions. So you get to attend live. I'm kind of excited about this right now. And in the future, I'm sure it'll just be once a month, but for like the first two months, it's gonna be like two (laughs) trainings. The third level of support is for the people who really wanna connect with me one-on-one. At this time, at the time of this recording being released, and I'm, I'm not guaranteeing that this is gonna, I'm gonna be able to keep doing this forever, but at this time, that $50 level of support includes a check-in with me, a 20-minute check-in with me, one-to-one each month. And I forgot to say that the $20, $20 level of support, we're also gonna do live Q&As, so you can get those questions answered, but you would come on the Zoom call with me and we would maybe sit down with some tea or some coffee and chat a bit, and you can ask me whatever in a group setting. And then at that $50 level of support, you get a a one, once per month, you get a one-on-one check-in. And so I've been super pleased and excited with how many people have already taken me up on this. And I would love to have any podcast listeners who want to engage more deeply with the content and want to learn more from me to check out the patron program at teachingyoga.net slash patron. Thanks for asking, Shannon. That's amazing. Happy two-year anniversary or podiversary, Madeau. Happy podversary. <laughs> yes, congratulations, Madeau. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to celebrate with me and also all everyone who asked questions. I know we didn't get to answer every single question. Obviously, there were so many good ones. I will do my best to take some of the other questions and either answer them inside the Facebook group or maybe some of them would make good standalone podcast episodes. So keep your eyes out, ears out. If you submitted other questions, they still may get answered in some way. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Mado. Thank you for having us. Thank you. That was so fun to hang out. This like brightened my day. Yeah, me too. <sighs> yes, agreed. Well, that was super fun for me. I hope it was enjoyable for you as a listener as well. Definitely check out Amanda McKinney, Amanda Kingsmith, and Shannon Crow. All of their contact information will be available in the show notes. They put together so much incredible content for yoga teachers, so please go check them out. If you're interested in one of the workshops that we're putting on together, you can find out more about those at teachingyoga.net slash events. And before I wrap up, I just want to say that there is no way that the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast would have made it to two years if it weren't for my dedicated listeners. Those of you who reach out to me and request topics, who reach out and let me know when an episode has made an impact on you, and even those of you who have never reached out to me at all, but who listen every single week and your download numbers show up in my stats. And so I see that you appreciate the podcast enough to put me in your pocket and take me on a walk, to put me on the stereo and move 
or wash dishes or put me on in your car as you drive somewhere and that we get to spend time together. This podcast is dedicated to you and it's created for you. So when I'm celebrating two years of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast, what I'm really celebrating is you and your passion to be the best yoga teacher that you can be and the best human too. And I would be remiss if I didn't include a special shout out for my podcast patrons, those of you who are pledging your support to this podcast every single month. I've got some new podcast patrons in the past week, Nina, Becky, Haley, Kimberly, and Tally. Thank you so much for pledging and for your continued ongoing support of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. That's all for this week. Until I see you next week with another episode, please remember to make time to fill your own cup with your own personal practice, however that looks. 